ready when you are. You can feel the country's on a knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You're in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. That spider game sounds way cooler than Manta Rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they even went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. All right, all right. We are back. It's been a while. Back in the house. It has been too long. Yeah, been too well, long. good. Good to good to see you again. I'm back in Europe. Uh, had a good little trip back home to Canada, and but happy to be here. Uh, how you doing? Yeah, not so bad. I'm struggling to understand you. Your Canadian accents come back. I was going to say. Since, I was uh, going to say. Do I sound a bit more Canadian? Do I sound? Yeah, yeah. You do. You good, do. good. Actually, that's that's nice. It was, you know, it's one of those things. You're living in a country, you not knowing the language, and it was a bit of a shock when I went home and and just. Oh, sorry. You meant yeah. <laughs> sorry. I was thinking. Kind funny, of funny guy. You're a funny guy. I miss that. I really miss that. Um, <laughs> no, but it, it it is a bit interesting, you know, and you just sort of realize all these little even just the little cultural things you know everybody's saying sorry everybody said you know super polite and you know having a oh yeah great yeah how you doing today oh good to see you all this you know that germans just don't necessarily do unless you really know them you know whereas in canada it's like any service person you know guy behind the till you're it's just oh yeah how's it going oh yeah good 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 so yeah, it was nice. What can I say? It warmed my heart a bit to be home, but I am uh, I am happy to be back here in Germany and, and happy to be back here on the show. So, well, nice to have you back. Episode, episode eight. eight. Who would have thought it? Yeah, we're just cruising along here, and um, and this is you and I'm going to dive right into it because you know I was back home in North America. The talk was the same as it is here in Europe, where this is being recorded on the Sunday. Before the doomsday election, we have to touch on it. Yeah, is it? Um, is it not over yet? Please let it just be over. Isn't that the sentiment? Like globally, <laughs> it must be. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, I was in the pub last night, and everyone was just. You know, everyone was very much of the opinion. Either both of them are fuckwits, so <laughs> let's just put one of them in power and move yeah. on because it's going to happen. Well, so. it's, it's going to be one of them. So, yeah, it is. You know, let's just see what it is and then deal with the aftermath, you know. But uh, it's, yeah. uh, I don't know. Do you got do you got predictions? Have you been, you know? Well, that, well, I think this is the thing. Up until, what, a week ago, it was looking like it was a slam dunk for, mm-hmm. for Hillary. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all, all sewn up. You know, Trump had shot himself in the foot several times, all done and dusted. And then the FBI, have, you know, yeah, kind of in a in a Scooby Doo fashion, I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you, yeah, and kids. Yeah, 
uh, sort of muddied the water a little bit. So it's, it's interesting seeing the fallout from that. Yeah, now. that's a that's an interesting one because of um, well, you know, this whole time Trump's used this. It's it's rigged. Everything's rigged. The media is against me. This whole bias thing, and now it seems the Hillary campaign has had to take that. You know stance of well the fbi what are they doing why are they why now why all of a sudden would they reopen it like isn't that suspicious and kind of hinting at it so it's just like it just adds to the whole you know pile of ridiculousness that has been this whole campaign and i know the canadian media a lot of what the focus was was just you know the actual like the vitriol like the the nastiness of it all which i guess is worldwide people have been commenting on that um since i've been back here in germany i haven't you know really got a sense of what they thought of the last month i imagine it's about it's about the same but yeah it's uh it's it's frightening um i think i think hillary still has it and this is my prediction but yeah like you said a lot of the polls are are showing donald uh catching up in the end but um I don't know. We've been wrong before through this whole thing. And I think that's the one thing that we can say is that we just, we just don't know. And, uh, speaking with a good friend back home, uh, shout out to Steve, who our guitars, hey. look him up on Instagram, builds great guitars, does great work. If you're in the market for a good guitar, go to our guitars. That's a plug. Um, but he, is he going to sponsor yeah. the show? Are we going to get something for this? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how good this episode plays, and then we'll okay. we'll get in touch with him. <laughs> but no, he had, he kind of had an interesting point because, um, you know, he was saying he's predicting a Trump win, and every I and really? initially okay. I was like, no way, like, no way. Hillary has the electoral college. All all the polls at that time were were showing one thing, and he's he whether right or wrong but i found this interesting but he said the polls you know obviously there's problems with polls we all know that they're not 100 accurate but he was like they're going to be yeah. totally wrong um because they're not taking into account the right demographics they're not taking into account online media and online media users you know this kind of thing because he's like you know if you look at these polls um after debates on certain websites and you know the online surveys basically are saying you know pro-trump and it's like, it could be, maybe there is a demographic that they're not tapping into. And he was pointing to a situation that happened in our home province of Alberta, where there was a huge win by uh, the NDP government, which came out of left field, like no one really expected it. Um, and it was, you know, the polls didn't show it because, you know, they missed it. They somehow missed it and they missed this. But yet, if you looked online, then there was a, you could maybe see the sentiment was there. So I don't know if he's 100% right. Like, we'll see. Um, I wasn't, I didn't put any money on it, but I still think, like I said, I still think Hillary has it. Uh, And part of my saying that is probably just because I think that's the safest, the safest uh, outcome we have. But uh, yeah, I don't know. So I'll put down for Hillary, but. Yeah, I, yeah, I probably thought it. What? And I don't know whether you'll know this or not. So my, my understanding is that actually a lot of the election just gets called on poll, you know, news agencies where they were basically, okay, well, we're going to call this state or this elect, you know, this part of the election based on the polling data. Obviously, they're counting the votes in the mm-hmm. background. Mm-hmm. And now, my understanding is that basically what normally happens is, you know, CNN or Fox or MSNBC or whoever, okay, well, we're declaring this state for Hillary or for Trump. 
And then effectively, towards the end, the losing party concedes and makes a phone call to the person concedes. Yeah, the the uh, the American system is is really weird, actually, because well, because they have the electoral college, and 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 right. basically, so, the the way that the president is actually actually elected is there's representatives for each state that uh, form what's called the electoral college, and they actually do a ballot for president. So the popular vote of the state in, I think, every state except Nevada and one other one, it's the popular vote of the state. So the people go, they vote, whatever the popular vote says, and for that state, whoever wins, the all the representatives of the electoral college that that state has, they're then obliged to vote for that candidate, right? right that way. And so that, gotcha. that vote actually doesn't happen until December or something like this, or like three weeks after the election, the electoral college representatives actually go to Washington and do the formal vote there. So basically mm-hmm. the outcome is okay. known, but it's not official. And that's why they don't do the inauguration or anything till the end of January, because they have to do all this progress or all this process. And so technically there is a way that your electoral college representative can vote against what the state, what the people voted. Like this, this does have, it can happen. Um, and then that, you know, there's a whole process or whatever that that's involved if that happens. Um, basically I don't think it's ever happened, but it, it could. Um, but yeah, so, so the, um, I think then there's a there's a uh, a matter too that if if you don't get all the electoral college votes, so you have to get 270 electoral college votes in order to win. If you don't get that, then the uh, House of Representatives, the Congress, basically they then vote for the president. So it's possible okay. that you know if it's really close and nobody wins the electoral college, then it goes to the House of Representatives and then they'll vote it in, which I think has only happened once. Um, in like, you know, early 1900s or something like this. Um, but right. So yeah, it's a whole weird system, but that's what CNN and these other places are, are banking on. Like that's how they make their predictions that look at the popular vote of the state and then they can assign, okay, well, that many electoral college votes we know are going this way. And then that's how they can, you know, make those forecasts and those predictions and stuff like that. So, so does, so does the, the losing party have to concede. So if they, if let's say Hillary wins, Donald sticks to his guns that he said that he would never concede mm-hmm. victory. Does that have any bearing or is it just a case of, well, they'll, they'll finish counting up the votes and I'm sorry, mate, you can concede or not concede. Yeah, basically. But the, the votes are in your yeah, screws. Basically. Obviously, obviously you can launch a legal challenge like yeah. the whole Bush yeah, Gore yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. Basically, okay. that's that's my understanding of the system. So, and then and then just to point out too, the the number of electoral college votes that a state gets is based on the number of representatives they have in the House of Representatives. So it is which you, which okay. in turn is based on your population. Population. So, okay. um, but yeah, so that's yeah. Whether he concedes or not, I think is just a matter of you know formality and uh common courtesy i guess or political courtesy they would say well, but he could make a stink of it until 
this vote in Washington actually goes down. Until the Electoral College's representatives actually show actually, up and vote, then, yeah. Okay. So, which... Well, watch the space then. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but I think the interesting question, or the interesting thing, regardless, you know, like we said at the top, like let's just pick one and get it over with and, and deal with the aftermath. I think that's going to be the, you know, the the really interesting part of this whole thing i mean the the campaign's been fascinating to watch it's unlike any other it's you know maybe shaped the tone of of u.s politics for you know the next years to come but it's you know like we've said it before it's it's opened up a, a huge divide it's shown the cracks in the society and it only seems to be getting worse as as you know we ramp down or we count down to these last few days i know they the Canadian media, when I was back home again, they were really kind of focusing on this and sort of going state by state and looking at these different, you know, changing demographics in these different states and these, you know, big rifts that are being exposed. And, and it kind of makes you think that, you know, how, how are things going to get back to normal? How are things going to get back on track down there? Hang yeah. on, parent. Yeah. Well, I think, when well, also, you know, when I spoke to, uh, Americans, um, be be them friends or people that I've met through work or colleagues, or whatever. You know, I, I think they have all said, and I think we've touched on it before. In no other election cycle, these two candidates have gotten as far. But for whatever reason, the stars have aligned. There's nobody else put themselves forward. The time's just not right. We are where we are, and we've got Clinton and, and Trump. I think I think the question is, can can the divides be healed? Because I think it's it's really split you know, the country in, in the US. I guess the saving, saving grace, when was the last president that didn't serve a double term? You know, is, do we think that whoever, whoever gets in power now will just get the one term and then they'll magically find somebody out the bag that actually is a stronger candidate? And Yeah, could be. Or they'll find, in. you know, another candidate that's like Trump, you know, or, you know, that, that pushes it even further, you know? Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the, the nightmare scenario that they just keep on going down this road of extreme. Yeah. Extremism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it could go either way, but yeah, the, I think the last president that didn't serve a full term was, wasn't it Bush senior or Clinton? Clinton number one. Clinton, Clinton did a double term. I think term, he did. He? Yeah. So before that, it would have been Bush senior. He just did a single term. Because he lost to Clinton, okay. I believe, and he right. was after Reagan, and Reagan served too, and Me then yeah. Clinton or uh, Bush Senior got in, and then uh, Clinton, and then Bush, Bush Junior, and then Obama. Yeah, Obama. so here we are. But well, all all will potentially come clear on Friday morning. Yeah, but, or um, you know. Maybe, maybe not. The other, the other thing, and, and, and we can move on after this, uh, but, you know, the, I think the other important thing to watch for is going to be how the election goes down. I mean, both sides are screaming, well, not screaming, but both sides are saying, you know, unfair, you know, it's rigged, it's this, or watch this, or watch that. Um, I think an incident of any sort of election day violence, you know, would be, Really sad, obviously the first the first thing, but what what did, how does that shape, you know, 
how, what, how do they deal with that? What, what happens then? And how, how does the world even look at, at this election too now? You know, we, we have, you know, the U.S. election monitors going to places in Africa where there's commonly, you well, know, election yeah. day violence and things like this and sort of condemning them and say, oh, you know, you guys really need to get together and, and figure yeah. this out and stuff. And then if it turns around and you see it in, in the States, I mean, I sent you a little article a couple of days ago. About, yeah. And who knows, it could just all be hot air from some of these groups, some of these fringe um right wing groups that are saying basically saying, Yeah, we're gonna go out. We're gonna we're gonna mobilize at, you know Yeah. Intimidate people, yeah. bully people, it's, you know, encourage people to stay at home. It's just like, wow, that's it's bold. Yeah. That that's yeah, how many how many elections have, you know, the US and the world condemned saying, Oh, you know, it wasn't a fair Well and and just and just the vibe, the just yeah, just you know, and and but this is the thing too is that the the you know, again is it's not new. We've talked about this before. The tensions have been ratcheted up so so high that it takes one day, yeah, and you got a lot of. You know, I saw a guy from North Carolina. Is North Carolina anyway? One of the Carolinas who's being interviewed by the CBC, uh, and he was like, "Well, you know, you got a lot of these like fringe groups that are armed, well armed." That are sort of, you know, popping up or being strengthened in the last years. And they're sort of joining, like, this is, you know, their time to be like, yeah, yeah, we knew it all along. And now's the time, you know, this is why we have guns and militias and it's to fight the government, you know, like it's, it's, there's a sentiment out there. I don't know exactly how big it is, but it, it only takes one. No. And that's, yeah, I think for me, that's the nightmare. I think the nightmare is that whoever wins and that's I think it's more likely that the call to arms would come from a Trump person maybe but you know if Clinton wins on the Friday you know Friday morning we wake up declares you know Trump yes if he thinks he's been unduly hard done by then of course you know if he thinks there's been electoral fraud then go and deal with that but at the same time I think he then has to realize the power that he has and if he turns around and starts inciting violence and things then that you know, you've got a civil war. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, yeah. I never thought it would, you know, seem that likely. And I still don't think that it's likely. But, you know, I, I could definitely see some, you know, people in the streets, some some unrest, we'll say. Uh, but wow. and, and, and then if you're counting on Trump to sort of be the bigger man and, and tell his supporters to back down and, you know, everything's okay and we're going to concede victory it's like i don't see that happening uh, yeah i'm not sure he's the man for that but yeah and i guess in terms of countries being out on the street and getting ready to to protest you know I, for a long time i've always been glad to be british but uh events here this week have sort of undermined mm-hmm. that a little bit i've been uh, a little bit almost ashamed at times to be british well, it's this week, um, which it's yeah it's uh same sort of situation. You guys seem to be a bit of a nation divided at the moment. Well, it's so this time of year. So obviously, you've just had Canadian Thanksgiving. Uh, beginning of was October, that? yeah, it was yeah. Beginning of October. Okay, I thought it was the end of October. So I don't know. I, we we don't have a similar celebration here. But do you find yourself? Do you feel more Canadian as it builds yeah. up to that? Yeah. Or yeah, 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 yeah. It's something you know. Everybody. It's it's a national holiday. Um, Everybody enjoys it. It's, you know, family, friends. It's a nice holiday. There's no real religious or political sort of motivation to it at all. It's just, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. 
Okay. So, so you, you know, Candle, you have your Thanksgiving, the US have their Thanksgiving. When I speak to friends from the US, they say a similar thing. You know, for them, it's that and Independence Day is very patriotic. And we don't have that here. For me in the UK, that time where I feel more patriotic is now. It's the, around about the first week and a half of November. And I think that comes out, A, because we get over Halloween, which has become very Americanized mm-hmm. here and very corporate and commercial, which is, you know, fine. But we get over the hump of that. And literally almost as soon as that happens, we get over Halloween uh, and the poppy appeal starts. So the poppy appeal is led by an organization called the Royal British Legion. And basically they're an organization that support ex-service personnel and their families. Um, and the poppy appeal is really their their big push for funds during the year. So every supermarket you go to, every store you go to, every pub you go to will have a box selling uh, little poppies. They sort of have a plastic stem with a paper mm-hmm. uh, we, red We flower. do the same in Canada as um, well, yeah. Okay, okay, you do. So, And the idea of that is to commemorate, you know, those that gave their lives before us and um, to symbolise the poppies that grew on the, the fields uh, where World War One was fought. fields, yeah. And it, yeah, and for me, it really drives home, you know, people before me gave their lives so that, you know, I could have the life that I have in the, and the rest of the world could have the life that they there have. So I always feel really patriotic about that. So I think, I think that kind of happens. And I think the strength of what that brings really gets driven home. So it builds up to the 11th of November, which is when, you know, armistice happened and the guns fell silent. And I think the strength that's really been driven home this year. So, uh, this week on, I think it's on election day, England, Scotland have a World Cup qualifying mm-hmm. football soccer match. Um, so both of the football associations asked for permission for the players to have poppies embroidered on their shirts or on their armbands. Uh, and FIFA, the governing body said, no, you know, we don't allow political or religious statements. Uh, you can't do that. So this is the strength for me of the poppy appeal. Basically, both football associations have said, fuck you, FIFA. We're going to do it anyway. And whatever punishment you want to give us, we're going to take. That for me sums up the poppy appeal. You know, I, of all the things we should respect in the world, for me, the poppy mm-hmm. appeal and this period of time to give remembrance is very, very important. So there's that going on. I think that for me instills a little bit of patriotism. Uh, last night was, uh, Guy Fawkes night, mm-hmm. bonfire night. Um, which I think is a bit of an odd holiday. It's very British. Now I'm not particularly royalist, but it basically, the whole, so that it's, it centers around the gunpowder plot, 1605, a bunch of people were going to blow up parliament. Um, and basically they found some guy underneath the crypt in the, uh, Palace of Westminster, which is underneath, uh, Houses of Parliament with a load of gunpowder. His name is Guy Fawkes. They caught him. Um, he was sentenced, uh, to death as a traitor, hung, drawn, and quartered. And people held bonfires around, uh, the whole of the country every year by royal decree, um, to sort of celebrate that we'd saved the king. And you now whether you're a royalist or not, for me, I think it's a nice little holiday. People make, what we call guys, so like scarecrow type things to put on the bonfires. Yeah, Again, yeah. It instills, for me, it's it's a quirky little British holiday that drives home that I'm British. I really like it. So for me, this period of time is brilliant. And then this week, <laughs> the whole Brexit court case happened. So I, I think I tweeted it. I tweeted it to you. I know. I think I tweeted it out on the group. So basically... um group of people led by a woman named Gina Miller um, went to the court to basically say, yes, you had your referendum and that's that's fine. That's the will of the people. But the government does not have the power to go ahead with this without having the support of Parliament, so having Parliament vote on this, and potentially passing an act of Parliament or a law 
to then go ahead with this and to trigger the Article 50. Um, so it went to court. It was debated for about two or three days. Um, and the judges basically found in the favour of uh, this People's Challenge group, basically saying, no, you cannot, the government do not have the power just to ramrod through um, and take take us out of Europe. You have to vote on this in Parliament. You have to have an Act of Parliament um, to undo, basically. And the, the crux of their argument was this thing called the royal prerogative. So the royal prerogative is basically when we used to be ruled by a king or a, a monarch. And basically it's that the power is pushed down now from them into Parliament. So, for instance, if they want to make a decision on a business deal or a treaty, they don't have to vote. They can use the royal prerogative and on they go. Now, what the people, challenge people, uh, pushed for was that you can't use the royal prerogative for this because you are overruling an act of parliament. You're overruling a law that will have an adverse effect on the subjects of the British Isles. Namely, you know, we won't be able to go to the European Court of Human Rights. You're taking away some of our voting mm-hmm, rights. Mm-hmm. And yes, you're going to replace this law with another piece of law. But until you do that, you, you cannot push this through. You have to vote on it. Either way, either way the vote went, it was always going to be appealed. So it went in the favour of this uh, Gina Miller and her group that basically said, no, Parliament have to have a vote and an act of Parliament on this. The government are going to appeal. That's fine. That's that's the, but the justice thing, the process. Thing I think is important to notice that the majority of members of Parliament were Remain. Well, so, 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 so that's basically so it's setting it, up it, a way to reverse the the re- the referendum or or to not go through with Brexit. Am I correct? It it, it could be mm-hmm. used that way, but all along, this Gina Miller, who's sort of the the figurehead of the group, has always said this isn't about stopping that process. We voted to leave and we should okay. leave. It's it's about the fact that if we don't make a stand on this, the government can basically do whatever they want in the future for mm-hmm. anything and say, oh, well, it's our royal prerogative. We're using those powers and basically tranks any law that's been written into statute books to basically di- turn us into a dictatorship. Okay. So she's always said, no, I'm, you know, she voted to stay, but at the same time, she respects the vote. And yes, the MPs could or dig their heels in, but effectively what the MPs would really do is look at the result for their constituency. Okay, well, my constituency voted to leave, which the majority of them did, hence we're leaving. So, you know, we go through that. But it gives the MPs a chance to question the government on some of the aspects of the negotiation mm-hmm. process. But, and, and hasn't this been sort of one of the sticking points all along was you, we, we need a plan. Okay, we had the referendum. It said leave. But then everyone was like, well, okay, well, hold your horses. We're not just going to, like, leave the next day. Yeah. It's we need a plan. And, you know, the different gov- yeah. the minority groups in the government are saying we want to see that plan before we go ahead with Article 50 and all that. So it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. So, f- yeah. So for me, you know, we've we've put the justice system into process. The justice system's worked. Brilliant. We can move on. The bit that has really made me ashamed to be British this week is then the amount of hate and vitriol being pointed towards this Gina Miller person. And then secondly, the next day, th- at least three of the, the main newspapers literally attacked the three judges. Oh, well, they're traitors. They're betraying the people. So it's like, no, they're, they're doing their job. They're, they're independent of politics. They're not appointed by politicians. They are defending what is mm-hmm. our rights. And these three papers have literally incited hatred and violence against these people. And to me, shameful. And I think the, the other fallout from this was 
Um, Gina Miller is also a sports commentator, mm-hmm. or the name of a sports commentator in the US. Uh, so all these ill-informed people have all taken to Twitter <laughs> and to Facebook, basically launching hate mail. We're going to rape you, kill you, you and your kids and your family. But it's all been directed at this poor sports broadcaster yeah, yeah, yeah. in the US, or most of it has. So uh, she's been sort of wading in there. But she's just like, okay, people, if you... Whether you voted to leave or remain, and I voted to to remain, and we're we're going to leave. Okay, we'll deal with that, and it'll work out okay. It'll be a bit of a disaster in the short term, but I'm sure long term it'll mm-hmm. all work out. But then to turn around and attack the person that's a trying to def- you know for whatever reason she brought this court case. Ultimately, it's about defending our rights, and these judges have just done their job; they've mm-hmm. done the same. And now that we're you know. Oh well, we should throw them on the bonfire. We should, you know, have them as effigies. Come on, people! You know they've done that. They've done their job. They're protecting our rights. And if if in two years' time we hadn't had this, and the government they turn around and says, "Well, screw you, people! We are going to become a dictatorship," where would those people be then? Oh, they'd be out on the streets. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have guns. They'd be you know banging saucepans <laughs> and wooden spoons together trying to kick off a fight. Yeah, it sounds like every Friday oh, night in the just, UK, right? Yeah. yeah, it does. I know I've just gone off on a bit of a rant, but yeah, I apologise for that. It's it's for me. It's been a shameful week, so I hope we can get. Well, you know, it. And, and I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you brought it up because it's something that I didn't. You know, I I was you know as someone that's not in the country and doesn't understand what's going on. I looked at it in the very narrow sense and thought that it was a way that you know people were trying to reverse the the referendum, but it turns out it's not that at all. Which is interesting then that these newspapers are jumping on this. Like, it's like, you know, the, the press is supposed to be independent, you know, re- report the facts, hold, hold people accountable. Yes. But it's from your, you know, telling of it, they seem very misinformed and are, are taking a stance that, um, so is sort of missing the point and just banging the drum of, you know, divisiveness in like, oh, look at they're trying to turn back the referendum results or, you know, the, who are these judges, you know, to do when, when really it's in their best interest. It seems odd, but. Uh, yeah, really odd to me. And I get, so the big push that the MPs have been falling out about are they want the government to tell them what, what they're going to try and negotiate. Right. So are we, are we negotiating that we shut our borders altogether? end of or will we try and stay within the single market in which case you know you have to have your borders open to some degree um and the government have always said well you'll get to potentially vote on that at the end but you won't get to tell us what to do up front so that's that's the crux of this that potentially now mps could say well no hold on we want to be part of the single market so whatever it takes to stay part of the single market you have to to do so in effect it would tie the government's Mm -hmm. hands but for me that's that's what members of parliament are there to do. They're there to shape and run the country. So if we're not going to listen to them on this, we might as well just get rid of them. And every time we've got a decision to make, have a referendum, yeah, which would yeah. never work. So. Well, maybe. Technology. If everybody just tweeted in their vote, you know, maybe it's like they do it for uh, uh, X Factor and all the singing competitions. Well, that's true. And yeah, that's where that gets us every time. But, uh, and you know what? I, yeah, I, I, the one good I'd thing. be interested. Go on, or you'll say. I was going to say I'd be interested to see what the uh, what the numbers are of people, you know, voting on uh, their favorite singing 
you know, whether it's Eurovision or whatever versus uh, those that, that are actually voting for government. And I, w- I would hope that there's still more people going out to vote for government, but I don't know. Well, well, and maybe, you know, like with the X Factor and things like that, maybe if they charge everyone 10p to vote, then they could put that money to good causes. Well, yeah, you could have that on a bus saying it could go to the uh, National Health Service, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And then obviously, you know, the very next day, say that's a big (laughs) lie. One of the the tweets I saw, so this Gina Miller woman was actually, um, she wasn't born in the UK, but she moved here as a small child, was, you know, educated here, brought up here. She's an investment banker. So, you know, by that, I'm guessing she earns quite a bit of money, pays a lot of tax. Nobody seems to have complained about her paying taxes for the last 30 years or so. But now suddenly everyone's got a big problem. Uh, so somebody was basically, oh, you know, you should go back to where you were born. So uh, then I saw somebody sort of jump in and say, well, then should we say something about Boris Johnson? Because he wasn't born in the UK either. Ah, um, didn't know that. And yeah, I think I think he was born in America. Actually, uh, he had to, he turned down American citizenship, and then um, a couple of the papers that were inciting the hatred against the judges are owned by Rupert Murdoch. So again, American, not American Australian. Yeah. So uh, yeah, very odd for me. Now, the one person that this week I think has instilled a little bit of patriotism back into me. Um, some would say he's British. Uh, some would say he's Scottish, but he's definitely British at the moment. Uh, Andy Murray. We have a new. Number one in the world tennis. That's from tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, thanks to a Canadian actually handing handing the match to him yesterday with injury. Um, so yeah, Andy Murray becomes the first British male since uh, the ranking system was computerized in 1973. Yeah. Uh, so as a tennis fan, that for me is um, who, instilled my faith in who, humanity a little bit more. Who was the Canadian? Raonic. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah, he withdrew injured before they played. So, uh, well, good for him. Good, good, good for yeah. Andy. You know, I, I feel like I'm not a huge tennis fan. I've, you know, kind of feel like I'm a little up to date. Like I could name like the top three maybe, but uh, I feel like he's a guy that's sort of paid his dues. You know, he's been around for a while. He's been, you know, he's yeah, he's the second oldest person yeah. to take the number well, one and spot. he's had so he, he's yeah, had he's really great matches against you know the greats federer and nadal and, and stuff like this and sort of seemingly in the last while was always coming up short but you know he's had an excellent run the last year and a half two years or something so you know what good for him yeah yeah he's turned it around so uh yeah he's actually playing today actually to try and win the tournament but uh yeah there was a uh, a minor celebration yesterday in my uh, my household when uh, it was announced that you taking the number one slot. So uh, congratulations. I'm going to be bold. Here's a prediction. I'm going to be bold and say congratulations, Sir Andy Ooh. Murray. You heard it um, here first. You heard it here first. We'll see what the New Year's Honours list brings, but I, I think that's going to be a slam dunk now. Well, I mean, the world of, uh, the world of sports is going topsy-turvy because my Edmonton Oilers are right at the top of the rankings, early season rankings uh, as well. So, uh, you sure that league just isn't upside down? Somebody's transposed yeah, yeah, it wrong? My, my, I dropped my computer and now every all my screen's rotated 180 <laughs> degrees. Uh, no, it's uh, it's early days. I mean, the NHL, the hockey season, the ice hockey season is a long season, 82 games. And we're about 15, 12, 15 games into it. But uh, best start for the Edmonton Oilers since 1985 when they had uh, a little-known player known as the Great One on the team, Mr. Wayne Gretzky. 
So, um, oh, see that. See that's a I don't know ice hockey, but I know that. You know name. Wayne Gretzky. Everybody knows Wayne Gretzky, right? Yeah. Yeah. I tried to explain. It's like the only point of reference I can use here in Europe for <laughs> for hockey. I'm like, yeah. I try and use the current, you know, best player in the world, Sidney Crosby. He was touted as you know the next Wayne Gretzky for our generation. But I say that name, and you know, he's won Olympic golds. He's best player in the world, arguably, you know, Canadian guy. And nobody gets it, but then I say Wayne Gretzky, and everybody knows. So you know what? Good on Wayne, because he's like the one international ambassador for hockey. He kind of took up that mantle in the eighties, and he was an Edmonton Oiler, won four Stanley Cups with the Oilers back in the eighties. But anyway, yeah, this is my sports shout out because uh, it's you know, unfortunately, I'm here in Germany, so I don't get to watch the games. But Edmonton's been de- terrible for about a decade. Like I said, it's early, but uh, we haven't been at the top of the standings no. in a long time. So I must say, I'm feeling pretty good what, about it. What I would say is take a screenshot now of that league. <laughs> so that if it all goes pear-shaped later on this yeah. season, you can at least look back with fond memories. Hey, usually in, in years past, at about this time, at about November, we're searching for our third or fourth win of the season. And we've already got eight. So, you know, here wow. we go. Well, maybe, well, maybe this, you know, maybe this is the year we're also enjoying. You know, Britain has a number one tennis player, Edmonton Oilers, maybe top the league. Maybe this year, and then the Chicago Cubs win Chicago the World Cubs Series. Chicago Cubs win the World Series, you know, like, what's happening? What is happening? Yeah. Yeah. This is, it's all going off. It wasn't, wasn't it predicted in uh, one of the Back to Future movies? The, uh, the Cubs would have won, I think it was last year. So I think I saw Michael J. Fox tweet saying, uh, oh, I was only yeah. a year out. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, wouldn't that, yeah, yeah, wouldn't that be a coincidence? Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we don't have the music. We, we said we were gonna get some music for this, but, uh, I want an Ebola update. Oh. What have you got for us? <laughs> I feel like the Ebola update needs like, uh, just like a really slick bass line, you know, maybe something like funky or something like that. Uh, oh, if only we knew somebody that played slick bass. <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah, it's tough to find. Tough to find. Yeah, shout out to the listeners. If anyone knows, you know, feel free to tweet us or give if, someone, us a call. if someone wants to put a submission in for an Ebola update song, we'd be happy to accept it. Oh, yeah, now that that would be a good listener yeah, competition. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, let's solicit the let's solicit the the input, the feedback. Um, but yeah, no, I did I did see some Ebola related news and uh, the disease that just never seems to quite go away. Um, the the latest was they were talking about how there was evidence um, that Ebola was actually adapting throughout the the big outbreak of what twenty fourteen now um, uh, that made it better at infecting humans. I guess is the way to put it. So as yeah, you know, that. it was sweeping through West Africa and infecting. Yeah, so I did see. Um, a few cautionary tweets to the articles um, from some science people that I follow saying, you know, we can't, we didn't actually witness this in, in real time. The, the evidence for this is coming from lab studies, but they're using, I think, isolates from the, from the outbreak and things like this. Um, so it's not, not quite as awesome, I guess, as it sounds from a science perspective of like, look at how it adapt. You know, we have, we saw it in real time adapting to better infect humans and how deadly it is and how crazy that is. But there is uh, lab-based evidence for this. 
But it's not it's not well, surprising when you you think about the number of people that were infected and how quickly you know virus genomes can mutate and stuff like this. It's it's this has sort of long been the um, you know the uh, the scary thing about diseases and about large outbreaks is that you're giving you know this virus access to all these different immune systems and different variants, and that allows it to basically test itself against all those immune systems and variants um, and, but yeah, allows it to evolve to, you know, infect all those different ones or overcome all those different immune system variants and stuff like that. So yeah, it turns out uh, it happens. Yeah. I, yeah. So I saw that, I, well, I saw that article, an article similar. So I, I think they were saying it's like a fourfold increase in the ability for it to infect something like cells. this. Yeah. Um, but also I think for me, the interesting part was that same, uh, strain of virus is now less able to infect its natural host, the fruit bat. Alleged natural host, the fruit bat. Alleged natural host. Well, the article I said was very definitive, but yeah. But, uh, for, you know, for me, you know, it emphasizes what you were saying, but the scary thing is the virus is changing to use humans more of a host rather mm-hmm. than bats or things. So, yeah, that and that's the scary thing about all infections, isn't it? That, you know, if it becomes more and more ingrained for us and it's, you know, being viruses being what they are, you know, they have this ability to mutate. So if it starts mutating to select itself to be more predisposed for human cells than anything else, yeah, this is a disease that's not going to go well, away. Well, yeah, and you can see, I mean, they, they, they talk about this with the, the animal flus all the time, right? Like the jump, right, from swine flu into humans or bird flu into humans, you know. And, and, and they say it with, with Ebola too, like you said, it's it's natural host, the fruit bat. So you could see, a, you could envision, I guess, and I mean, this is, you know, speculation and big thinking and not totally, not totally founded, but you could imagine a scenario, yes, where it's like if it persisted in human populations long enough, it becomes a, a, a purely human strain. Right, that like you said, can't go back to the bats, yeah. and then it persists in in humans. Now, in the short term, that's probably bad. Wait, scratch, probably that's bad for a <laughs> lot of people that get infected with it. But then you've got to think, you know, there's it's the arms race, right? The classic arms race between pathogen and host. So maybe there's a situation where Ebola becomes like the cold. You know, it's not as serious for most people. Um, it's that it, we're, our, our bodies will get a chance to adapt to the human strain as well. Um, and, and you can't really predict if this will happen, how long it would take, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, so there's, there's, I think there's two sides to that coin that are kind of interesting. It's like, yes, this deadly disease might become a human strain. And then we have a human strain that you, it doesn't need that contact with animals to jump into us. Um, so it's sort of just around all the time. Maybe it's a seasonal thing like the flu, who knows? But then you also get, you know, with more exposure, with more exposure to it on the human side, our immune systems get better able to, to deal with these things. So maybe, yeah, it's around a lot more, but the effects are less severe. Maybe the mortality rate drops from, you know, like 80 to 20 or something like this. Yeah. So yeah, the way that, pathogens and and hosts co-evolve and like i said it's an arms race a constant struggle of one getting the better of the other 
Uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating process. And Ebola looks like it's one of well, the things that we might be able to actually see it in, in real, not real time, but you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, for me, I think, you know, ever the optimist, let's try and find the positive in the story. So, you know, I think, you know, we had the, the Ebola rake, the last one in 2014, 2015. What was it? A couple of years before that, the last sort of big outbreak. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Nine years. Yeah. Now I'm sure there's work going on in between all that, but it, to me, it was always very reactionary. Well, we've had this outbreak again. And then we were trying to play catch up and deal with it and whatever. So, you know, taking the positive from this, if the, if the virus itself is mutating, it's going to be more of a long term problem. Then that, that's going to drive investment. That's going to drive research into that area to find the vaccine, to find a cure, to find more therapies. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, hopefully. Which I think has know, already happened. Long may this research train. Yeah, and I think it has. And But, you know, we obviously need more. Um, so long may that continue rather than rather than it being reactionary. So, you know, keep it in the public eye because that's what then drives the focus, the money, the, re the research, the investment. Mm -hmm. um, let's take the positives from that. The other um, medical health disease piece that I saw in the news today was um, around malaria. Um, Good old so, similar in a way. So, yeah, never goes away. Um, so, a group of scientists, um, I think they're based in Cambodia, have uh, basically reported a complete failure of the two newer drugs that are used to treat it. Um, I'm going to murder the names when I pronounce them, but uh, piperquidine and uh, artimazine are sort of the two newer drugs used to treat it. Well, I think we should. Um, I think we should. So these uh, Preferences maybe for such people that don't really, you know, follow malaria because malaria has been around. Like I'm sure everyone knows what it is, but it's it's. What are you saying? Everyone, everyone's on the Ebola bandwagon. That's what well, you're saying. Yeah, I was going so to. I was going to say. You know, know this is you did, when you were just finishing up. Well, hopefully this, you know, gives Ebola research more, you know, emphasis and more keep it in the limelight. There's people on the other side being like, well, no, that's not the biggest problem that we have. You know. You know, flus are more important. We should be more concerned about flus and we should be more concerned about malaria. Malaria is one of the, the most deadly infectious diseases that yeah. we have as humans. I think it still tops, you know, all the lists in terms of infectious disease deaths every year. Um, it's long been a problem. It's been one of these things that people have always said, oh, well, we're going to have the end of malaria in 10 years. And then the next 10 years and then it, oh, another 10 years. You know, so people have been working on malaria and malaria resistance for decades. This has always yeah. been, you know, the issue is that any time a drug that's effective um, at combating malaria shows up, resistance pops up very shortly afterwards and spreads through the population. So just to sort of, sorry to interrupt, but to set that up, I think that's no, an important no, no. point because... This is something malaria resistance is, I mean, the Bill Gates Foundation, this is one of their biggest, um, tasks basically is, is trying to stop malaria because the resistance issue is such yeah. a, all the drugs are, are, and then as you say, they're now reporting resistance to the two latest drugs. Yeah. So, um, but the, the news that's come out is they, they basically obviously started mapping some of the genome and they found a couple of the resistance markers that seem to, link to okay if the parasites carrying these resistance markers then these two new drugs aren't effective what they've discovered though is some of the older drugs are still able to kill off those parasites so they see they don't seem to 
maybe they'll mutate and they will in the future. But currently, they don't seem to be able to have both resistant genes. So they have one. So you're resistant other. to the new drugs, or you're resistant to the old drugs, but not both drugs, not both. Currently, yeah. now you know there's obviously a chain of thought that's going to say potentially that's going to change, but at the moment that's where it is. So you know they're saying that's potentially good news. What they're saying at the moment is they've um, found these resistance markers only in. And they've been there's a like a huge cross-functional group. You've already alluded to the Gates Foundation sort of supporting this. So there's a huge international community working on this. So currently, I don't think they found the resistance markers in any of the African strains mm-hmm. in the area, uh, which is the good news because I think they say about eighty-eight percent, ninety percent of malaria cases come yeah. from Africa. So if they get this resistance strain there, yeah. you know we're in trouble. Um, so, but what's the you know? what's the cause and effect and could this potentially open up doors you know if we're already looking at gene therapies for certain conditions on other things is there a door here to try and modulate and i know there's you know they release sort of sterile mosquitoes and things which are the vectors for for malaria to try and stop mm-hmm. the spread but is there a way of changing the the genome of uh, of the parasite to try and make it less effective or susceptible to the drugs again mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's an interesting one because, yeah, malaria just seems to always be one step ahead. Um, but the fact that, you know, and I'm just trying, you know, thinking on the spot and thinking out loud here, but the fact that it goes so far to combat the new drugs that it loses the ability on the old drugs, a couple things come to mind. Is the mechanism of the drugs the same thing? So is the are both, you know, the old drugs and the new drugs, do they act on the same target? Do they act the same way? Do they kill the parasite in the same fashion? Because that would seem interesting that, you know, there's got to be some difference in that it can't be resistant to both. Or maybe it's just completely a matter of exposure, right? Um, We don't use the old drugs anymore, so it has no need to be resistant to those anymore. So then reusing the old drugs is basic effectively like introducing a new drug and then you know it's kind of like with um uh aids medication so aids medication is always a combination of different antiviral drugs because aids is similar in that it's constantly uh, yeah mutating mutating. yeah so hit multiple targets one drug will never work forever so you just you kind of constantly blast it with a combination so that it can never really fixate on one thing to become resistant to. And I know that they've, it's, it's similar with malaria. Like this isn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not breaking any, you know, news here to malaria researchers. Obviously this is combination therapy is what they call it. They've been doing that forever. (laughs) You don't have the cure for malaria (laughs) in your back pocket. I thought I did. I thought I did. No, it's uh, that would surely boost the listenership. Just imagine if we broke that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some guys, some I can't imagine that malaria researchers are listening to this. But if they were, they'd, holy shit! You know, we never thought of that. <laughs> Good God, this guy's on to something. Hey, well, you know, you know. All I would say is, obviously, you take some of the credit because you know you potentially had the cure. But you know, I I raised the topic on the show, so I at least want you know fifty percent of the royalties of any cure that uh, you have to see flash just you'll be that, you know? you'll be like the uh the uh the wallace to the, to my darwin if anybody <laughs> gets my science joke there 
your uh, Tenzing Nor game. Yeah, yeah. To your Edmund yeah, Hillary. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, you'll be the uh, Dave Semenko to my Wayne Gretzky. Oh, see, now, now you've that's lost right. me. You talked about <laughs> that's so, right. Uh, that's yeah. right. Pull it back. Save the listeners. Talk about something right. else. Well, um, <laughs> what else do we have on the docket? I think. Um, so we've done our, our, you know, obligatory uh, disease talk, both in politics and in science. <laughs> um, well, and th- there's only some of those diseases that will cure, and I'm not sure the ones in politics we have a will. <laughs> well, combination therapy, we got to hit them with a bunch of different things. We just haven't figured out what that is yet. Um, yeah, I think comedy. I think that's the cure. Yeah, you know, that's kind of an interesting just you know let's go on a little tangent here uh because think about all the comedy news shows now that seem to be the most poignant sort of critiques of uh of politics that you don't you know like you were just talking about lamenting the fact that the the british new newspapers were sort of missing the ball and you know jumping in and accusing these guys that you know but then you have in the U.S., I don't know what it's like in um, in the U.K., but I mean the U.S. is you know, John Stewart started it, and now you have like Samantha B., you have John Oliver, you have Colbert, you know all these different uh, comedians that seemingly have sort of the best, most reasoned take. Not not most reasoned, maybe, but they're the ones holding people you know accountable, uh, both sides. They're seemingly independent because, you know, they want to make jokes on everybody. Whereas, you know, you, you see CNN completely as in support of the Democrats and Fox completely in support of the Republicans. So, you know, maybe comedy is the cure. Uh, satire and political satire has always been, you know, a weapon. But uh, it, it's, it's I'm, I like that you said that because it, it seems more and more that that is, you mm-hmm. know, where a lot of people actually get their news. Bill Maher, you know, you can name them all. So maybe that's it. Hey, what's this? I did hear, I thought it was a good joke yesterday. Maybe not. So a woman goes to the doctors to get some test results and the doctor says, uh, I'm afraid it's bad news, uh, Mrs. Smith. It's terminal. Uh, you've got it best six months to live. And she's like, oh my God, you know, is there nothing, nothing I can do? And he's like, well, the only thing you could do is marry an accountant. And she's like, why? Will, will that cure me? He went, no, but it'll seem more like a year than six months. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> it is terrible. But, you know, that, that that joke might be the one joke that keeps us alive for another five minutes until the next joke comes up. Yeah, right. That's what I'm going to say. Okay. Well. So I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw you a line here. So, you know, if... If comedy isn't the saviour of my life, say I need some sort of transplant because I'm dying of liver disease or kidney disease slash, what could we do about that? Boom. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for getting it back on track. Um, it's a good question, Brad. Good question. You could wait for uh, a do- a appropriate donor to come along, which... I could, which could, could take, take years. years. Uh, and and then, there, then there's no guarantee that it works, right? Uh, yeah rejection of transplants has long been you know the biggest hurdle in in some of these cases and i mean it's the therapies have gotten a lot better so people with the advent of stem cells long thought that okay well this is it this is the cure we'll just grow organs right we'll just grow them in the lab 
we'll use the patient's stem cells so there's no there's no issue about the immune system rejecting the new organ from a different person we're saved right um yeah like in all science research they said oh 10 years just wait 10 years just wait 10 years it's coming in 10 years the classic number 10 years and um, it hasn't arrived and uh, they're not growing you know, a lot of organs. There's some that they can sort of start, some tissues that they can start to grow in the lab. But it, it, it turned out to be a lot harder than anyone thought. <laughs> Who would have yeah. thought? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I struggled, not as much as you, obviously, to grow courgettes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, you know, that's a plant which most people, you know, find quite easy. So then to go, well, yeah, I'm just going to grow a liver. Yeah, That'd be easy. Should, should, shouldn't be a problem. So, Actually, liver... Leave it in sunlight, you know, water regularly. Yeah. Liver's, uh, liver's one of the easiest ones to grow too. That's not even, we're talking, we need like pancreas, we need hearts, we need kidneys, we need, you know, any number of, uh. So you're saying the liver is the equivalent of the courgette? <laughs> that's right. That's what I'm saying. That's right. Yeah. And okay. I couldn't, okay, just I couldn't grow them that well. Although I've done a bit of research no. next year, I'll be ready to go. Yeah, that's good. But until then, I, I hope you're enjoying the word courgette. Right. Yeah. Well, I'll just try to refrain from you know saying the proper noun in any case uh, until next year. Well, the plant that has no name. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I've thrown no, no, track okay, of that. So, okay. um, no, the story that, that I was you know have been taking forever to get to is there's now this a gentleman that has has the great idea of. Rather than growing organs in the lab where it's difficult to get them, you know, up to speed and everything, get them, you know, to grow as fast as you want them, we're going to grow them in animals, is what he says. We're going to grow them in pigs specifically, um, which is, it's going to raise a lot of weird questions. I know a lot of people are going to be uncomfortable with this, and I think this is a fun discussion to have, but basically his idea is, um, and they've shown proof of concept of, growing they've been able to grow a rat pancreas inside of a mouse so what you do is you take the embryo of of the animal um and they've they've been focusing on the pancreas specifically because uh they've identified the gene which sort of signals pancreas growth in an in a in an embryo in a growing fetus right so basically you eliminate that gene from the embryo um, and then you inject human stem cells that have the gene for pancreas growth. And it's the same gene in pigs and humans. And essentially that embryo will use those human stem cells to grow its pancreas. But the pancreas itself, because it comes from human stem cells, will be a human pancreas growing inside okay. of a pig. You then sacrifice the animal, take the pancreas, and you have a human pancreas. And because it's grown in a body, because it's grown from, you know, fetal stage onward, uh, it's in the proper environment. It's got all the growth factors um, that a body and living tissue need. Uh, it's, it's way easier to grow, apparently, allegedly. This is the, this is the, the train of research. And then presumably you, you, you're not having the immune response to it. So you, you're not on immunosuppressants for the rest of your life after that. Yeah. Well, well, this is, this is the, if, this is why you can't just do it with a pig pancreas, right? Like you can't just, you know, right. And people might be saying, well, I thought they had uh, pig hearts. I thought you could use pig hearts for human transplant. But what they, what they do is they, in those cases, they're just using parts 
you can use a, a valve, a valve and stuff like this. Yeah. And, and that's close enough to a human heart um, that you can replace a valve or something with a pig heart. Um, the, the full pig heart wouldn't work. And even when you're using those valves, they have to go through an intense process of um, scrubbing it, cleaning it, basically, uh, so that the body won't reject it, so the immune system won't reject it. So, yeah, if you grow the human pancreas inside the pig, the immune system will be better able to handle it. You still would have problems with rejection depending on where the stem cells came from. So if you took my stem cells, grew a pancreas, and then tried to give that pancreas to you, it would still be as though, you know, I'm donating my pancreas right. to you. So there's still that issue. But if you can then use your own stem cells to grow your own pancreas in a pig in four months, you know, you could you could have a, an organ on demand more or less, right? The gestation period for pigs, I think, is four months. Um, so, so basically you could just take your stem cells, give it to the doctor. The doctor puts it in the animal. They raise the animal, you know, four months and then boom, you got your, you got yourself a pancreas. So I've heard of, you know, similar things. The, the thought behind that isn't overly new, but I think the, the big thing is the stem cell piece. And I guess this has come out of the fact that, because I think early on, most of the stem cells were coming from centers mm-hmm. and things like that, weren't they? So but I think now they found a way of basically driving stem cells from adult tissue. Yeah, those those stem cells aren't, aren't so great, So I guess though. that's one of the big drivers behind this. No, but I guess, obviously, you know, if you're trying to match something to my immune complex, mm-hmm. you know, what, what would you do? As I'm born, you take some of the embryonic fluid and you're using that to grow a pig, basically, is my, my second, you know, if in 20 years' time I need a liver, go and call Porky. And there it is, or it would be an on-demand thing. Yeah, well, I think, I, yeah, this I'm not completely sure on, but you, you still, the, the problem with using the adult stem cells is that you can't, you still can't get them to the, the state, the complete stage where they can turn into any tissue. They've had problems, basically. The idea with stem okay. cells is that, you know, they're, they're, they're naive cells, they're blank slates, and that you can then, you know, get them to grow into anything you want, whether it's bone or pancreas or heart or anything, right? But when you, depending on the source of those stem cells, some are better than others. Um, so the ones that are derived from adult tissue, it's a lot harder to get them to revert back to that completely, completely blank slate so that you can then choose whatever you want. Oh, yeah. okay. They still have some, you know, you call it memory or something of where they were derived from. So they're more likely to turn into that tissue rather than whatever you might want them to be. So you still need like the really good ones, which I, yeah, I believe come from placenta and stuff like that. But you know, a lot of people are saving that, that shit now too. Right. So you, people could have, you know, their stem cells on file basically or locked away somewhere. And then if, and when you need them, yes. And then the, the growing in the animal is just the sort of, the incubator basically for your for your organ right now the guy that wrote this this article and this was in the latest scientific america um issue and I, I give him a lot of props because he spent the last bit of the article basically going into the ethical questions of it and a lot of times i think researchers try to avoid that or they wouldn't talk about this because they know that that's going to come up, but he kind of, you know, tackled them head on and he was like, yeah, look at like, there's, there's going to be a couple really dreadful scenarios that we, that we need to 
you know, think about and find ways to avoid. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we should stop the research. And those dreadful scenarios are if the stem cells from the human migrate into different tissues of the growing fetus. And there's three that you don't want it to go into, and that's nerve cells um, and then the reproductive ones, the sperm or the egg. Right. So the two scenarios that you might end up with is a sentient pig that has human brain cells, human-like brain cells that's then able to, you know, become conscious and whatever, you know, like all these higher-level attributes of consciousness that we attribute to humans, which would then be bad. You got these pigs being like, "What are you doing to me?" You know, they actually. Well, the pigs are talking. Be, yeah, you know, we could get super pigs, right? Super pigs, superhuman. Spider yeah, pigs. Yeah, yeah, this goes back to spider goats, but way creepier, way creepier. Because you'd have human pigs. You'd have, you know, pigs with human brains. You know, like yeah. what? Like it's a it's a gnarly open, thing to think about. That opens up a moral dilemma. And now yeah. the other one that really freaked me out is that if you get the human. Um, reproductive cells. And then, so you have, you know, you're growing all these, these organs in, in pigs. Uh, and then it happens that you have two pigs. One's a male, one's a female, but they both have human, uh, reproductive cells. So they have human sperm and human eggs inside the pig. They mate and you have a human baby growing in a pig. This is the stuff of science fiction, yeah. isn't it? Or nightmares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what yeah. if your parents were pigs? Yeah, that, you know, I got picked on a little bit in the playground <laughs> for, you know, various reasons, but that would be... That's cru- There'd be no coming back That's from crazy, that, crazy, right? Well, and that... I don't think we live in a world yet where we would accept well, that. How would you deal with that? Like, how would you... You know, and... and, and uh, let's, I'll say this. It's a long shot. Like a lot of things would have to slip through the cracks in order for that to happen with this technology. Well, literally slip yeah. <laughs> into the crack. But. Hey, yo. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, I wonder, like, you know, cause it, you think like it could be a healthy baby, a healthy baby, you know, yeah. and it would be, and it would be a human. It would just have been gestated in a pig. Actually, I don't know if that would work because the gestation period is different. But then this is one of the things that he, he taught, you know, like it's four months for a piglet to be born and nine months for a human to be born. So there's discrepancy there. But this is one of the things that he talked about is that they have to do with the stem cells, the human stem cells, when they put them into the, into the animal fetus, is they have to speed up the biological clock of those cells in order to match the, you know. Right. So then you could have a human born in a pig in four months. Well, it'd be effectively the Lance Armstrong baby, wouldn't it? You'd have to pump so many drugs into it to speed up the metabolism that its metabolism would then be naturally going at a rate of knots. So, you know, seven Tour de France's would not be a problem for spider baby. Yeah, pig pig baby. Yeah. Or, or girl. Or maybe it's a, it's a third gender that we haven't figured out yet. The piggy, the piggy gender. (laughs) Oh, well, to be fair, you have maybe, I I do find that. Hungry to have some pork scratchings or some other. Well, this is as I was. This is the you know, like that's some that's some far out. That's some far out shit. It kind of gets away from how beneficial the technology actually could be, you know. Uh, And even even if they don't get it to the point where, you know, we're we're growing all these organs and pigs and stuff like that, 
what they learn about development and you know um, using stem cells and stuff will be valuable for for other you know forms of research, especially cancer research. Actually, they they specifically said that there would be even if we don't get like fully grown organs and that goal is turns out to not be achievable they'll be able to learn a lot of things about development that will help them treat cancer um cancer being you know rogue cells developing into whatever they they choose to develop into um but this was the thing that i thought of as well as you said you're hungry for support now is how would you like what do you, people already have an issue with you know raising animals for for food now we're raising a whole set of animals for organs and yeah do you eat the meat can you eat the meat you know to me i don't have a problem with it i feel like i could eat if they were like yeah this is this beef that you're getting or this you know pork that you're getting also gave some guy a pancreas it's like yeah well hey serve it up no problem right shouldn't be a problem but then what if you're like wow what if the bit of the stem cells, you know, got into the muscle meat? And so I'm actually eating pig slash human. Is that going to, yeah, is that going to mess you up? Ballistic. Or maybe it's the most delicious well, thing you've ever had in your life. And then once you get the taste yeah. for the flesh. <laughs> <laughs> the man meat, you get the yeah. taste of the man meat, not in that way, people. <laughs> then, you know, will anything else ever quench yeah, that thirst? Yeah, yeah. Scary, scary thought. So I, Playing on the, you mentioned the spider goats, and that was actually one of the most popular things we've ever done. So many people that have listened to the show have then come to talk to me about <laughs> spider goats. So I do have some spider news. Okay, let's hear it. That I saw the news. So um, there's been some work done at Oxford University, so not a small university, um, basically showing that spiders tune their web. Hmm. So um, by tuning their web, they can use it for a multitude of different things. Obviously, you know, they use their web to catch prey or things. Um, so what scientists have shown, there's still some work going on, but potentially by tuning their web, it can attract prey. So like the, the tension the of the strings. So the tension and the thickness, a bit like a right, guitar right. string, will then send out a different note or vibration, and that potentially could attract prey. Um, what it could also do is attract though a mate. So by way that you, you spin that web and the thickness of the silk and things, that's actually a sign of actually I'm trying to attract a mate rather than, than prey. Um, and also potentially they're using it to detect damage. So it's, they almost do like a self-harmony test every day or uh, whatever. And by, by pinging it, then they can tell, okay, well, the web isn't resonating as it was yesterday. Okay, part of it's broken and they go off and Yeah, fix, they can, they can fix find the, the... Oh, wow, that's that's wild. So how do they how do they detect the frequency with their with touch, like with vibration? Because as uh, far yeah, as I know, yeah. spiders don't have ears. Yeah, so it's all done through vibration. Yeah. Um, so what they're, and they've done it, and I think they've done it in one species from like the, um, like the common or garden spider or whatever. But now they're looking at other spiders to see if other spiders have different frequencies or different, because they all have different silks. So presumably they all have different vibrations and different silks and things. So, and then what happens if you cross some of those? Does that have an effect? So, uh, yeah, potentially, you know, could spiders be uh, the next set of musicians to take on the world? You know, is there going to be, you know, we have music for cats. Could there be music for spiders? And it's just a whole album of vibrations from a Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's really cool. This is, this, this makes me think of like these, um, you know, science festivals and science art 
you know, projects that people do, but it's like, if you could, you could, you know, figure out what the frequency of like a, a, a spider using a web to attract a mate is the spider love song. And then, you know, you find what frequencies are all in the web and then, you know, you give the, you can recreate those frequencies, bring them up to human hearing or whatever, and see what it sounds like. You could actually hear it. You could, we, you could make that album. The spiders from Mars, Ziggy yeah. Stardust, you know, we could, we could make it. Well, then maybe they could lay down the funky bass line that we talked about earlier. Spider track, man. Spider track. Okay. So, <laughs> and so I'll, I'll, I'll go one further with this. You know how they have given spiders psychedelic drugs to see how they like it influences their web building. They basically make like, okay. instead of making a web for a purpose, spiders on acid make webs. They go yeah, crazy. they make these crazy, yeah. you know, geometric shapes or whatever in their webs. The Pink Floyd of spider web music. Here we go. <laughs> you know, the next, instead of the wall, it's the web. Here we go. Well, I, yeah, I like that. I like that. Oh, what a, yeah. I like it. It was also scary. You know, what if, you know, you see pictures like the bridges that resonate, you know, the wind blows and they resonate and they yeah. fall apart. You know, what if you give these drugs to spiders, they create a web that then resonates and brings down buildings, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, we just like, we crank up, you know, we got our little microphone, whatever, tuned into the web and we just crank it up and all of a sudden, yeah, it's like, what if it turns out it's like the the best noise you've ever heard? Like, it's like the, you know, people just drop to their knees and start weeping or something. It's, oh, it's the most beautiful thing wow. I've ever heard. Well, if you've ever heard me do karaoke, you'll you'll often see things like that happen. At least, at least people dropping to their knees and crying, <laughs> but... Um, not so much the it's the best thing we've ever yeah. heard. Yeah, oh, that's cool. I like it. I like the uh, I like the spiders uh, tuning their webs. That's it, it. It makes a lot of sense, and I think it's a really neat uh, thing when you think just about animal communication and animal sort of behaviors that are sort of underneath the surface. You know that we don't even see. You know, for whatever hundred years of biology and ecology and stuff, people have been looking at. Okay, well, we know that you know, vocalizations, right? Like we put everything into the tune of or into the frame of vocalizations. What do they mean? What are they saying? What are the animals doing? And even, you know, gestures and behaviors and stuff. These are things that for us seem very intuitive, but there's a whole, you know, well, potentially a whole symphony of things going on that we just don't even, you know, we're not even picking up on. Watch this space. Yeah. So here's my final question about the spider. So the spider's plucking it, right? And he's feeling it. He's Sorry, plucking he's what? It. He's plucking his web. Right? Yeah. He's sitting at yeah. home, plucking his web, wishing he had a mate. How does the mate pick up the sound? Does it actually travel through? Like, is it like a sound frequency or would she have to, he or she have to be? I'm, I'm presuming it's, it's male spiders attracting female spiders. But female spiders are usually well, the web builders. Yeah, so maybe it's yeah, and I I don't know. So you know, as we said, as far as I'm aware, I don't, they don't have ears. So is it a case of they have to be in contact with the web? So they you know they're wandering along and they feel the vibration, or are they are they building a web and then the vibrations are traveling and hitting their web and they're sensing? Yeah, that's a good question, yeah, Flash. Hmm. Either way, still, yeah. Any spider web experts out there? Get in touch. Let us yeah, know. that's bizarre. That's crazy. 
but yeah, I just, I'm always blown away at these things where it's like, you know, we, even just, you know, the old, maybe it's not an old, you hear people say, you know, like when you're in the forest, it's when you actually stop and take a moment to listen, you hear so much more when you stop and you actually look down on the ground, you see how much life is actually there that you don't, that we're not aware of, you know, that we go through our whole lives, never experiencing yeah. and never witnessing and it just goes to show that there is this whole level of, you know, animal insect communication going on that we, you know, not even aware of. Like, it's like when people found out about whales and dolphins and clicking and all the different sounds that were going on and how complex their, uh, lang well, we call it language, you know, it is, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. What a, what an interesting world. And, with that, BBC, the good old BBC, is putting out Planet Earth Two. Did you see that? Ah, yeah. I I I I briefly caught it on the news today. I didn't see a trailer, but yeah, I saw the the clip to show that uh, yeah, it's coming again. So is it already filmed and I, made? I or? think it airs tonight. Oh, I think okay. it airs tonight on the BBC. And uh, well, just, I'll give you props for the BBC on that one because uh, Planet Earth was one of the best nature series ever. Sir David Attenborough is, yeah, you know, who, now, who now has a boat named after yeah. him. It's better than Bodie McBoatface. Well, that's up for debate. But, uh, <laughs> no, we're not putting it up for debate. That's They made that mistake already <laughs> and we're not going to do it. We're using our royal prerogative and we are not calling it Bodie McBoatface. Right. See, that's, that's what a royal prerogative can do for you. It can overrule democracy. Because yeah. Oh, yeah. that was a democratic vote. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, okay. Well, as as we wind this up, then there's uh, there's a shout out for the BBC. We've done a shout out for Andy Murray. Wow. Shout out for the Edmonton Oilers. Shout out for my buddy Steve and our guitars. Yeah, actually, uh, one of my guitars needs fixing. So if Steve from our guitars could pop over and come and sort that out for me, I'd, I'd be, be very very I, grateful. I know. I'd, I'd maybe give him a shout out in episode. I nine. know. Yeah, I know he'll be in Iceland in February, so that might be the closest he gets, but. For the rest like of the halfway, meet him halfway. For the rest of the folks back in in Canada or in Calgary, rather, he's there. Um, so, do you want me to summarise where we've been on our journey today? Yep. Oh, what a journey it's been! Okay, well, it has been. It's been a good welcome back, and, it's, and potentially, you know, I know episode seven's not out there yet. I think it will be in the next uh, few days. So, potentially, there could be like a double helping. Yeah, could be, could be. I, uh, I'll uh, coming soon. Episode seven was oh so close to becoming the last episode. Oh, so close, but I think I've, I think I've redeemed it. I think I've brought it back from the dead, uh, resurrected it rather. Um, the, you'll, you might notice that the audio quality is not quite what, uh, too bad for you, the standards that we've set, but I apologize for that, but we're working on it. We had some technical issues. Um, but yeah, it'll be out soon. So let's wrap it up. Good. Okay. So where we've been on our journey today, and I, we haven't got to your black hole, which we can maybe roll over <laughs> to uh, the next episode, and then the listeners will get that joke. But for now, just believe me, that was quite a funny joke. So uh, where we've been today, well, we started off with rip the damn plaster off and just get on with it, America. We've had enough of this whole election thing. Just get it done. For North Americans, plaster is Band-Aid. Yeah. Thanks for the <laughs> uh, the translation. Uh, we also worked out that I'm a grumpy old man at times. Actually, no. Correction, I'm a grumpy man. I'm not going to use the word old. <laughs> uh, so, again, I apologize to listeners for my rant at the start of the show. 
Um, we discovered that Flash might have the cure for malaria, <laughs> but we just don't know. It's, so it's always it the obvious things that you just don't think about, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like looking for the, you know, the key to get into an apartment. Oh, I've lost my key. Is there a spare key under the nearest rock? Yeah, you never know. never know. Um, courgettes, liver, kidney. We've learned that your garden is wide and varied and very scientific, <laughs> Flash. So. Uh, very green-fingered in your, in your garden. And uh, I think very importantly, we've learned that Spider-Man isn't actually a superhero. He's actually just a musician. That's right. That's right. Well said. Well said. Well put. Um, so with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, you know, call out to the listeners, get involved. Um, I've had some direct feedback from people that have listened, that have um, sent me messages on, on WhatsApp and stuff, which is always great to hear. But, you know, we'd like to get involved with our Twitter feed. So at Too Brad For You. Um, or you can get in touch with us, one of us individually. Uh, so I'm at, at Bradley W. Hayes. And my Twitter at B. Van Paradon. I think that's Instagram as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we, well, obviously we have the, uh, Too Brad for You Instagram account as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, get involved, get following, um, feedback, and stories. I would say too, um, if people are, <laughs> if people are listening, <laughs> the, the few of you that are, um, let us know what the best way for you to get podcasts is. Um, we're going to work on getting out onto different platforms, whether it's iTunes or other ones. But if people have things that they use, it would be good to know. Uh, and then we can try and put our content out there that would be good. on whatever be platform good. it is that, that people use. Mm-hmm. Well, with that flash, uh, thank you as always. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been great fun catching up with you, man. Yeah, learning, sparring, getting to know you. <laughs> it's been a real slice. It's been emotional. It's been emotional. Uh, until next time. Yeah, sounds good, my friend. Uh, I will see you then. Catch you later. Cheers. Cheers.